So a lot has happened since the last time we talked. A lot has happened in the world, um, in politics, the United States. We will not be covering those in this particular medium. Um, if you follow me on Twitter, you already know how I feel about that. Um, but uh, there's a lot of stuff going on in Laravel world as well. So usually immediately after a dot release, um, things kind of slow down for a little bit and it's bug fixes and people kind of documenting and understanding what's going on. But soon uh, things pick up. 5.4 development is actively happening right now. We're going to talk about a couple of those today. Um, Jeffrey does not get to embarrass the heck out of me because I did launch Suggestive. You got it um, done. So <laughs> I got it done. I actually got it done a week early. I was pretty proud of myself. We got some new Forge features, some stuff going on with Laracast Designs, Eloquent, Nintendo, MacBook, all this great stuff. We got a lot on our plates today, so we're going to get right to it. So first thing we got to talk about, first off the plate, the new MacBooks, the new MacBook Pro, if you want to consider it a Pro or not. Has Apple lost its way? What do you think about the touch bar? Um, Jeffrey, you've got one in hand. What's going on? How do we feel about this? Okay, I'm looking at it right now. Uh, I'm sure everyone listening to this thinks I'm a sheep who got ripped off. But in my defense, uh, my you know what? I I'm being kind of spoiled here. I'm saying my last computer was an early 2013 model, which is still relatively new. But, you know, I work on this thing every day, so I, I would like to have the, the best version I can. Actually, at Titan, to, sorry to interrupt, at Titan, we've discovered that the late 2013s, everybody who has a late 2013 right now is happy with it, and everybody who has the early 2013 felt like it was time to upgrade. So I really do think that that was like the breaking point for somebody who uses it all day. So yeah. I'm in your court. No, I, I mean, it's, you know how we, we joked about with iPhones, we had this theory that Apple like reduces the cycles yeah. over time. Yeah. So it feels like for whatever reason, whenever a new iPhone comes out, the next day, suddenly your phone feels even worse than it did the day before. Uh, it could be in our heads, but I feel like there is some truth to that. Uh, and I think to a lesser extent, maybe with, with the laptops. You know what? I just turned on Siri. That is one thing that is annoying with the touch bar is like if, if your hands kind of sweep it at all, you will hit buttons, you will hit Siri. Uh, that's a little annoying. What's not annoying, though, is the trackpad. I, I was worried about that because uh, it's so huge. So I thought, oh, you're always going to be messing it up. Uh, they've done a, a pretty mm -hmm. good job with that. It doesn't get in the way whatsoever. Overall, I would say uh, I really like it, actually. Uh, I would say the touch bar is not a gimmick. Um, you're probably not going to use it as much as you think, but for the areas you do use it, I think it's, it's, it's pretty cool. Even things like you'll be on uh, YouTube, and on the touch bar you'll see like a play button or a scan button. Really? Uh, yeah, so stuff like that is, is pretty cool. So, so Chrome can, like a website can instruct your browser to put certain things up there. I, I don't know. I, I was wondering about that. I assume it's more just it can detect when a video player um, is okay. embedded oh, or something got it. like that. What I will say, though, is it, the escape button is, is grim. It, it's not good. It is. <laughs> yeah. Oh. So you're going to have even, you know, I was thinking of it mostly from like uh, using Vim or Vintage Mode in Sublime. Where I was thinking, oh, I just remapped that to JJ, so I don't care. But you forget right. just in general workflow how often you hit escape to, to close a modal or something. And you always miss it a little bit. So you have to be yeah. a little more calculated about hitting it, which, which sucks. It's, it's the worst thing about it. But other than that, uh, I feel pretty good about it. I know Taylor ordered one. Yeah, I ordered one, but I hesitated, which I kind of regret now. So now I have to wait like a few more weeks to get mine. I have an early 2015 13 inch macbook pro so mine was actually quite a bit newer and i didn't mm -hmm. really have any problem with it except i wanted to try i moved back to the 15 now that it's a little lighter and um yeah went back to the quad core processor but i'm pretty excited about it i think it looks really cool i'm really excited about the um 
you know, the ability to have a single cable both charge the laptop and do your display so you don't have two separate cables there, especially with that new um, 5K LG display that's coming out. looks pretty sweet. You going to get one of those? Yeah, probably, especially now that they've been marked down to be the same price that the uh, Thunderbolt displays were. So, yeah, I'll probably get one oh, of those. Oh, really? Yeah, they marked them down. They were they when they first announced them, they were like 12 or 1300, but they marked them down to like 980 or something. Nice. The, the dongles are definitely rough. I I'm looking at my yeah. laptop right now. I have one dongle connected to a cord that goes to my Thunderbolt, and then I have another dongle that's connected to my microphone that I use for screencasts. So, you know, when you're at your desk, it doesn't really matter, but it's just more the idea of it is really annoying. I don't know. I'm not as hard on Apple for that as other people are. I feel like at some point this transition has to be made and people mm -hmm. get mad every single time. Like when they got rid of the CD drive, people lost their minds. Um, so it, it's kind of maybe just a transition year. I would recommend to most people, like if you want to upgrade, maybe just wait another year. And I feel like the next model will be that much better and you'll be that much closer to this dongle situation not being an issue but also the ecosystem is going to be better right like yeah. there's there's a lot of hubs coming out that you're just going to leave on your desktop you plug a single USB-C cable into it and it just hooks into everything and it's going to be the whole like the whole I don't know if you guys remember the Dell docks where like you set your Dell down and you click it into a dock and un all of a sudden it's plugged into all your peripherals like there's going to be that where you set it down plug a single USB-C thing in and then everything's plugged in but right now, A, it's not out, and B, when it comes out, it's going to be $300. Well, in a year, there's going to be five competitors, and there's going to be the version that's 80 bucks that you buy. So it's kind of like, you know, I, I agree, like, the whole dongle situation isn't great, but it's like being an early adopter carries costs with it. Like, I had the first MacBook Air, and it was really amazing and really awful, and I got rid of it. And then I got a several generations later MacBook Air, and it was fantastic. It was good. You know, yeah. so it's like kind of like, hey, you're an early adopter. You're going to deal with early adopter pains. Now, there are there is one thing that's kind of annoying about the touch bar. I don't know about you guys, but for whatever reason, I'm always changing the brightness or the volume. Oh, yeah. And, you know, on your current laptop, you can just hit whatever button it is that corresponds to it. But now hmm. you have to hit the if I want to lower the light, I have to hit the light button and then it opens up a slider and then I bring down the slider. So it just adds one more click. But I noticed the other day I kept having to adjust the volume because I, I was in bed with my wife and I was watching some YouTube video where the volume levels are just all over the place. Mm -hmm. And it was really annoying because I kept having to hit the volume button and then hit the slider yeah. and move it rather than hit the button eight a couple times or or, what, or whatever the, the number was. So that's a little annoying. I just switched to a new key keyboard. So all of a sudden my finger memory of where things are is broken. And I, I totally am now much more aware of how often I use the, because it's a Microsoft Sculpt. So not only is my finger memory wrong, but the labels on the F keys are all wrong. And so I'm, I'm all of a sudden extremely aware of how much I use those hardware F things because every time yeah. I do it. So I, I get that being a pain. My, I wonder if the answer ends up being where we, I'm trying to remember who it was. I think it might've been West Boss where they have like a um, control option alt mapped to all sorts of things that they want and so you control option alt um v ends up being your volume up control option alt b and you, you're basically using one of those things where you have your own like kind of custom set of mapping tools and it makes me wonder whether you're going to end up doing that for a lot of those things or even for escape or something like that mm -hmm. yeah that could be cool but i don't know like I, I know people are so down on this uh to tell you the truth it feels like an order of magnitude better than my 2013 mm. model even the mm. screen like i'm look i actually have both set up cuz i'm still kind of migrating over i'm looking at both screens right now and this new one looks significantly better and i don't know how yeah. they're both retina i think they're the same resolution i'm not sure but they said one's way brighter i know they said that at yeah least. maybe it's so. just that but it feels far better than than my other laptop here 
Um, Taylor, any thoughts? Are you, are your thoughts going to happen once you actually have yours? No, I dig it. I mean, I can't wait to see it uh, in person. Uh, a lot of pe- I was kind of surprised how negative people were, like especially with saying they, you know, we're going to buy like a Surface Book or something like that, which is essentially the same price and about the same specs. So I, I don't know. I just I don't really think Apple has lost its way or anything. I think I just think I don't know. I think they're skeptical of like the whole touch thing on a laptop. Mm-hmm. Like I mean. I read an article the other day where, um, you know, Phil Schiller was saying that they tested that extensively and it was just always real awkward, you know, to touch a vertical screen like that very often. It seems like if you're going to do like touch and um, have a traditional computer, like the screen has to totally detach in some way to use it as like an iPad. I think a lot of it was just that Microsoft was so brilliant doing their reveal the day before um, that in comparison, this one just felt very like uh, like a run of the mill update. Like Microsoft's mm-hmm. had this like everything just felt innovative and cool and and next gen. And then Apple's was like, oh, okay, it's it's kind of the same, just a little bit better. And I think people were pretty underwhelmed by that. People also just have a little bit of ridiculous expectations for on Apple to do like incredible innovation every time. And I said this somewhere else, but I'm like, you know what? If you just keep making it a little bit better every time. You know, I, I, of course, be be aware of and lead in new ways, but it's not like you can have massive innovation, you know, planned in a yearly basis. Like, oh, you must be inspired to completely change the way we work with laptops every 365 and a quarter days. Like, that's just ridiculous. Like, it, mm-hmm. the inspirations come when the inspirations come, the, the big changes in, in technology or how, you know, price of technology or whatever else, those come when they come. So anyway, but that's me. Oh, but what I would say as a closing note on that is... I wouldn't say this is that much better than last year's model, and it's a lot more expensive. So mm-hmm. I, I think actually a good recommendation would be to get the previous gen version of the MacBook, uh, even maybe buy it uh, used on the Apple Store or, or something like that, and, and you'll save yeah. a ton of money. Yeah, refurbed. One of the guys at Titan um, got his wife a, I think it was the non-touch bar um, newest one and ended up returning it and getting a refurb and saving almost a thousand dollars. And it, it, you're losing a little bit. Um, you know, it's, it, there's a couple, you know, big processor changes, but he just basically felt like, you know, it's just not worth those things yet. And it, like maybe next year or maybe whatever, but she didn't need to touch bar. And so it's just kind of like, but, but again, that's fine. If you see, you know, buying a refurb version of last gen is like a, oh, that's terrible. Well, then, yeah, you could say the only one I can buy right now is this one that I'm annoyed with. But to me, buying a refurb last gen is a perfectly viable buying strategy. It's actually a little bit wiser financially if you can get what you want out of it. It is. I've done it many times. My last computer I bought refurbished. And it's like with Apple, they have like a hundred point thing they go through to make sure it's it's as close to in new condition as possible. So, I mean, it's entirely trustworthy and you save a ton of money. Uh, I would almost always do that, except I didn't this time. So transition time, uh, you spun up a new Mac from scratch, probably for the first time in probably three years, based yeah. on what you said, and you recorded the process. Um, so tell us about what that kind of that Laracast series is and what you were doing there and what we can learn if we follow it. Okay. Well, first, let me find the series. Um, go to Laracast.com. Oh, man, this is a long URL. Just go to I'll Laracast. I'll put it in the show notes. Yeah, it's going to be in the Okay, we'll put yeah. it in the show notes. Um, yeah, it's kind of a... A sacred thing for me moving over to the new computer. I know a lot of people will just back up the old one and they move every single thing over to the new one. Uh, I don't know why, but I never do that. I I kind of think of it as like this clean slate where I get to start over. I I don't have to install all the junk that I never use anymore. So 
I only do this once every three or four years, so I completely started from scratch. And I thought it would be cool to record the process. Um, I, I think especially when I was younger, I might have appreciated that. You know, I, I remember thinking I would watch a video of somebody and they'd have a cool terminal. And I would think, well, how did they get their terminal to look like that? Because mine is yeah. white and ugly, you know, and theirs looks really cool. Um, and, and those are the sorts of things you forget take a long time to figure out. You know, you, mm -hmm. you just have to Google and ask people to figure out, oh, you're using iTerm. Oh, you're mm -hmm. using Z-Shell, you know. Um, so I just took everything I've learned in the last 10 years. I condensed it into like a 45-minute series, maybe an hour. Uh, and I think, I think a lot of people get some use out of it, especially if you're kind of newer to intermediate. Um, but yeah, it was fun. And uh, that, that would be another note I would say on this new MacBook is a lot of people freaked out about the fact that there's only 16 gigs of memory. But if you're able to use something like uh, Laravel Valet, you're, you're fine, honestly. Like, I, I'm not worrying about it. Uh, maybe if you are using lots of virtual machines and stuff like that, it could be a problem. But yeah, Valet is so lightweight uh, and so, so good. It's like my favorite thing Taylor and Adam ever did. Um, I, I think I think you're in good shape there. It's it's not anything you need to worry about. Yeah, I, you, listeners, you can't see this, but Taylor Jeffrey can. I have probably 25 tabs and 15 different programs open on a 2013 16 gig of RAM machine, and I use Sublime Text and Photoshop and Slack and GarageBand and Skype and all these other kind of things. But I'm not using you know five two gig uh, virtual machines, and I'm not using a three or four gig um, PHP Storm. Um, and it's fine. I've absolutely, you know, like, like I own the company. I could upgrade my computer anytime I want. And they were, everyone was like, Hey, are you upgrading? I'm like, Nope, perfectly happy with what I have. If I was back to using PHP storm and three VMs, I probably would be upgrading. Although I, or I'd probably be wanting to upgrade complaining that there wasn't a 32 gig and then being frustrated. So definitely be, be careful of the way that you're, the tooling that you're choosing affects that. But I found it pretty amazing recently how little I keep on my laptop. Like nowadays, you know, everything is streamed in terms of music and video. And I have very few documents that aren't in uh, Dropbox. And then it's mm -hmm. just a matter of cloning down a few repositories from GitHub and stuff. And probably most of the time setting up my laptop is more in just... I Like I recently had a 12-inch MacBook that I set up. And I feel like I spent most of the time just downloading, uh, just downloading stuff more than I did... Uh, yeah, you know, like migrating stuff, just like downloading Spotify, downloading Slack, just navigating to all those yeah. websites seemed to be like the most time-consuming part. There was a period where I did that over and over and over again. I think we, I switched computers, my wife switched computers, we hired new people, a few new people. So I wrote a big series of blog posts about it, but I haven't touched it in like three or four years, and so I keep getting people being like, "Hey, we totally changed the way that Brew works. Can you update your blog post?" And I'm like, "Oh, one day." So I said, "Next time I get a new computer, I'm going to do it fresh like you did." But now I'm just going to go put a big link to the Laracast one at the top of it, and then say, "Just go there." Oh yeah, <laughs> he did a fresh great. one. Yeah. Okay. So moving on, we talked about um, machines a little bit. I promise we will get to Laravel stuff for a little bit, but a couple more things in the Mac world. Um, a few people have asked how Taylor and I use our iPad Pros, and I've actually been meaning to ask you for a while, Taylor, now that you've had your iPad Pro for a couple of months, are you still using it all? And if so, what do you use it for? Yeah, I still use it. And I go, I kind of go in spurts of using it, actually. Like, I'll go for a little while and use mm -hmm. it a lot, and then I, I won't use it as much. And mainly, I find myself using it a lot when I'm working on a new feature. And I use this app called uh, Penultimate, which is just a little note-taking app and kind of not really a draw a painting app. It's more for notes and stuff, but I'll get like a, uh, you know, a piece of paper on the penultimate app and I'll just write out notes and little jot down ideas, you know, circle stuff, highlight stuff, draw out little diagrams, 
like one thing at one place I did that really extensively was when I was building a Laravel Echo, actually, that was in a 5.3. And then also when I was building a Passport as well, I used the iPad Pro pretty heavily. Well, then also if I have any kind of like user interface idea, sometimes I'll just like sketch it out and, uh, you know, export a picture of it. Um, and then I use it for just like uh, leisure stuff too, you know, like Netflix and uh, just reading news and surfing the web and stuff like that, just because the screen is so nice. Yeah, I, I do think it's probably my favorite device for anything leisure for comics, movies, reading, even for just casual emails and stuff like that. I don't have a lot of chat services on it because I don't want to be pinged by those things when I'm using it. I'm sure it would be nice for Slack or whatever else, but I intentionally kind of keep it so that I can be as single focused as possible on it. And I think that's an interesting thing about the concept of like, it. you can multitask with it in a way that you never could before. But for me, it's when I'm doing like the split pane, it's really just when I need two things to do one thing, right? If I need like a reference, if I'm like drawing something and I don't use Penelton, I'm trying to remember the app I use. It's the same one. I just got it from Ryan Singer, whatever he uses. But um, but often when I'm drawing something there, I want something open in another panel. So that's what I use split panel. But again, it's like multiple things for a single task versus multitasking. Like it's really nice for just focusing on one thing, especially if you don't want to be thinking about all your work stuff at the end of the day. Yeah. So you like the keyboard? I don't have the keyboard, actually. Oh, really? Okay. I think the keyboard's brilliant because I'll, all of a sudden I just open up IA Writer on it and I do all my writing from there. Or at least as much as my... When I want to do isolated writing and just kind of like focus on nothing else, I'll go to Starbucks and set up an iPad Pro with the keyboard and just write for a couple hours and mark down and then it's instantly synced over to my Mac. Speaking of that, there's an app that you're both using and I have not converted yet. Uh, it's called Bear. Somebody give me a pitch for Bear. For me, it's just a way better version of Apple Notes, which I already used Apple Notes for certain things. I use it for both work and personal stuff. So like one, I keep random stuff in there, like um, my known traveler ID, for example, you mm-hmm. know, when you're doing a TSA pre-check, I always have to go look it up. And so I put it in Apple Notes and then I can just like go to that note really quickly and copy and paste it. Um, I keep a few other things in there. And then for, I've been using it lately um, to write down more like long form ideas for Laravel, like something I can't really, I don't really want to put in just like a to-do list app because I want to write like a few paragraphs about it and mm-hmm. and think about it a little more. Um, so I've been using it for that. And one thing that always bothered me about Apple Notes, which is a really simple, like, you know, small thing was you can't adjust the font size. And hmm. That really always bothered me because I feel like it's fairly small and it's an annoying font too. It's not a pretty font and you can't change any of the spacing or any of that. And that always really bothered me. And Bear is a lot better in that regard. Like I can tweak the font, I can tweak the spacing, I can tweak the font font size. And that sounds really stupid, but that always drove me crazy about Apple Notes. And then, uh, of course, it has like the search and, and stuff like that that Apple Notes had. And you can tag stuff just using like a hashtag and then write a word and it will categorize those over on the left-hand side. The only thing, I really love it. Like I, I think it's really great. It does really good code highlighting. It supports markdown. So as a developer, it's a really nice tool and you can tell it was built by, develop, by developers that also had a really good sense of design. But then also, um, the one thing that that is missing right now that I would love to see them add is the ability to draw right in the app with the Apple Pencil. Because, you know, it, it, they have the app for um, iPad and iPad Pro and desktop and, and iPhone and all that. So if I could have it, I have it on my iPad Pro, but I want to be able to draw with my Apple Pencil right in a note. So I tweeted that suggestion to them. So hopefully... Um, other people will too and they'll get enough to where they try to implement that because that would be really cool but overall it's definitely the best note app i've used um anywhere really it's pretty good 
I'm looking at notes right now. At least it looks so much better than it did before. Do you guys remember that phase when everything had like leather yeah, all over like it? Yeah, Oh, so. that was a bad stage for Apple. Everything was yeah. trimmed in leather. Such a weird choice. Uh, but yeah, BitBear is great. Definitely worth a try. I think it's free to download too, right? Yeah. It's I think, free, you, can, yeah. I think to, you pay for sync. Yeah. Right. I think it's only like $1.50 a month, which I think is really stupid. <laughs> it should be. You I mean, feel like so it cheap. should be worth it's worth more than that. Um, so I was I, I recently shut down my Evernote account because they did, you know, all the changes they did with billing and I imported all my notes in Apple Notes. And I I'm, I kind of like it and kind of don't. I have the same kind of, you know, uses and also frustrations that you do. And when everyone said bear, I got all excited because it seemed like it combined how I use Apple Notes with how I use IA Writer, which is giving a really nice space for writing markdown and syncing it all together. But then someone told me that you either can't embed images in bear or you can't at least import the embedded images from notes can you embed images is do you remember which one is the problem like if you just take a screenshot can you paste it right into bear here i'll try it i'm pretty sure you can because i'm pretty sure i've done it yeah i just drug a screenshot right in so okay seems the problem is probably that it does the notes import probably doesn't take your screenshots with it and i would have lost so much that i'm I'm like hoping that they're going to do that but it seems like it does everything notes does plus everything ia writer does but just kind of better, cleaner, friendlier. Yeah, I think it's mainly prettier. I think that's yeah one of the main selling <laughs> points. I feel like the code highlighting is also really big. It looks really mm-hmm. nice for me too. Yeah. Oh, you know what? A big selling point for me was it is probably going to make me switch is that it's not data lock-in. So Notes is data lock-in. To even get an export out of Notes is kind of like a little bit of magic, whereas Bear is like, a, yeah, you can get your data out if you need, right? So... Okay, moving on. Uh, we got a lot still left on our plate and we're moving, we're going long. So suggestive real quick, I mentioned it in the last podcast, but basically it was something I developed on Twitch, which is a um, Vue.js single page app that makes it easier for people to suggest um, podcast topics. And the goal is for it to be either multi-tenant or really easy for other people to to release. And so it's just, the, the, the UI is the ugliest thing on the planet. It's just basic bootstrap, um, but it's live. Um, and so it's, I'll put a link in the show notes, but it's Laravel Podcast, suggest.mattstoffer.co. We'll probably get it under the Laravel Podcast domain later. Um, so if you ever want to suggest topics for us to talk about in future episodes, it's there. Also, if you ever want to see what a view, and it's view 1.0, but we're going to upgrade it to 2.0 soon. But if you ever want to see what a view single page app looks like, um, especially sitting on top of Laravel, that's a good place to look. Not saying it's great because, you know, it was my first time doing a view single page app, but you can at least see what it looks like. And if it's not great, you can pull request and help me make it better. Um, so I'll link both of those in the show notes. Um, but just, just an FYI, that's a thing that's out there that you can use as a reference point if you want. Okay, moving on. Forge has a few new changes. Um, you added the concept of different types of apps, um, WordPress, Symfony, et cetera. And you also brought back the ability to do single-click WordPress installs. Uh, can you tell us a little bit about both of those features and anything else you've added recently, Taylor? Yeah, so we did recently bring back the single-click WordPress, which used to be in Forge, but I feel like was not really fleshed out enough at the time to really be worthwhile, and I was always getting questions about it. And I wasn't, I didn't have enough time to work on Forge back then um, like I do now. I have a lot more time to spend with it. Um, so yeah, you can do one-click WordPress install, which does does things better than it used to because now Forge has the ability to create MySQL databases, MySQL users, so you can create you know separate databases and separate users right from the Forge UI. And then when you go to install WordPress, you select from a dropdown you know which database you want to use. And then also there's project types in Forge now. So previously in Forge, every site got the exact same Nginx configuration. 
and it was an Nginx configuration that was basically tuned for Laravel and other type other PHP frameworks that use the same sort of public slash index.php convention for how things are set up. But now with project types, you can actually have slightly different Nginx configs based on your project. So right now we have support for Laravel slash general PHP, which is going to be things like Laravel, Slim, Silex, stuff like that, uh, Lumen. And then we have Symfony and then Symfony Dev because Symfony uses a different front controller depending on whether you're in production or development mode. So it uses app.php in production, but it uses app underscore dev if you're in development mode. Whereas Laravel and a lot of other frameworks, I feel like just have one front controller. So it will tweak your Nginx config to point to the right file depending on what mode you're in. And then there's also a static HTML mode which sets your web directory to basically be just slash, you know, there's no slash public usually and um, sets index.html to be sort of your main, your main site. So yeah, that's pretty cool. And uh, there, you know, we could presumably add other project types in the future. Uh, Even the ones we have now, the differences are fairly minimal, but it still gives you a better out of the box experience. And actually the static HTML um, project type has been pretty popular. I looked this morning and there's already been a couple hundred sites um, created using that preset. So um, that's been a pretty popular option and hopefully we'll have uh, more of those in the future. And then also I've been working on a Forge UI uh, refreshes, trying to get a better UI and interface on the whole product. Basically, that's something I've been working on for a little while. And then also um, working on improvements to the deployment stuff. So I would like to add, you know, live deployment output of what's happening, um, add a log of recent deployments and, and sort of what commit those were, stuff like that. That bring adds some more of the uh more detail to that section of the of the product. Um all right. So we got a couple more level five four features to cover or new five three features, but before we do that, um Jeffrey Give us some Laracast news. There's at least two big things on the plate. First of all, your redesign launch. You've been working on that for months, right? Congratulations. Yeah, thank you. I it started, looks amazing. I started it in August. So I've been working on okay. it for about three months, um, kind of obsessing over it. Um, yeah. Whether you think it looks good or not, it, it's the best I can do right now. I think it looks, I think it looks, I think it looks pretty good. Um, but more importantly, yeah, it's getting to that time of year again. Um, Laracast doesn't really do coupons or sales. So there's one a year. And that starts out, you know, at the time of this recording next week. So I would say you're probably listening to this on the week of November 21st. Maybe check Laracast on November 23rd and you might see um, a pretty big sale. It's like this huge sale I do once a year and then never again. So it's your one chance to get a discount on the site. Uh, Definitely check it out. Wednesday, Wednesday, Wednesday. Yeah, I think the new design looks really good. I mean, I I was saying, you know, we have that we have a private group chat we talk in um, during the day sometimes. And I was saying that I don't really know of any other open source tool that has such like sort of a well-designed surrounding ecosystem. And Mm -hmm. I mean, it's not really, I didn't design any of this stuff. So it's not anything I've done, but just like the Laravel website, which was designed by uh, Jack McDade and then Laravel news, which I think was designed by Zangle. And that then, looks really good um, too. Yeah. Now Laracast, um, Laracast always looked good, but now it looks even better. And I think just that that trio of sites is really amazing from like a design perspective, and especially being around an open source tool where in open source you don't tend to see like the best design um, yeah. on, on websites like that. So yeah, I'm just really proud and really thankful of, for all the community members that have put so much time into the design of stuff. 
you know, I think we put a lot of time into the design, not just of the code base, but also the surrounding ecosystem. It really, it really looks really good. Like it makes Laravel feel like a really, um, you know, well thought out thing. Yeah. Yeah. It's, it's cool. like a combination of like attention to detail and also professionalism. Like we actually care about this and know what we're doing. All right. A couple new features to cover. Um, so let's start with eloquent. So I know one of them is easy event listener bindings. Um, and that's in the model itself, I think. Taylor, could you tell us a little bit more about how that works? Yeah, I really like this. And I'm having to kind of jog my memory about um, some of the benefits of it. Uh, there's one. Okay, well, quickly, the feature is you can have an events array on your eloquent model, which maps like the key in the array might be creating and it maps it to, um, let's say, comment created, you know, colon, colon, class. So you can map that string event to a class because right now in Eloquent, most people probably uh, manage events because the, by having like a model, colon, colon, booting or whatever, and then yeah. have a callback and then they have some listeners or something like that. Well, this, the events right now in Eloquent are strings. So they're like Eloquent dot creating colon space model name. And that's really lame. And I would rather have class events because then you can have the stuff like event broadcasting and stuff tied into your eloquent models and, and -hmm. stuff like that. The other big benefit is it actually makes your testing a little more, um, straightforward, I would say than how it exists right now. Um, it's easier to sort of fake those kinds of events and watch that they've been fired when they're the classes instead of those string event names. So that's a real simple thing, which is just a few lines of code, but I think it will make things a lot clearer if people really utilize that more than the string event names and kind of move that direction in the future because it just makes your code a little bit, it makes it more readable and it actually gives you access to more Laravel features on your eloquent events. Um, yeah, so that's, I don't think there's any other new eloquent features, but I think that's a cool new one in Laravel 5.4, which will hopefully be really useful to people. So, yeah, I was just going to ask you on each of these features, whether they were added to 5.3 or added to 5.4. So that one's 5.4. So next, the next one is the blade components and slots. Is that 5.4 That's also 5.4. Yeah. So blade components and slots was a really cool feature and it was actually started as a pull request where someone was adding what were they calling it it was at wrappers wrapper yeah so yeah. and they had basically at wrapper and end wrapper and they had text in the middle that would be injected into this view and then you would use at sign child to render the injected text which that's fine like that that itself was a cool feature um but then i got to thinking that this is really a lot like Vue.js slots where you can have this sort of partial that you're injecting bits of content into and you can have name slots. So for example, you might have a modal window that's a component and you're injecting a title as one slot and then maybe the body content as another slot. And I thought that would be really cool because for me, it's a very, um, it's an easier mental model to understand for me than extends and sections because I think of components and slots as in you're newing up an object and you're passing in constructor parameters. Like I think of the slots as constructor parameters and the component as an object. So for me, it's a very natural mental model to say, okay, I want you to create this view and inject these parameters into it. So inject this title, inject this body content. So I actually ran with that PR and sort of reworked a lot of it to be this concept of components and slots where you do at sign component, which accepts a view name and then end component. And then in the middle, 
um, if you just put content and you don't have any slot declarations, that just is assumed to be your main slot, you know, your main content. And then in your component that you're creating, you just echo out the slot variable. You can also have a within your component an at slot, which accepts a name, and then an in slot, and give that slot a name and inject stuff into that, and then echo out whatever that slot name is in the component. So if it's if the slot name is title, you would just echo out the title variable. They're just injected as normal variables into your component. So for me, it's an easier way to think because it's a more, gosh, I don't even really know how to phrase it, but it's like a kind of a more top-down approach to templating where as sections is kind of bottom up, I feel like. I don't know if that's the right way to think about it, but for me, it's just a natural mental model, when, especially when it clicks that you're basically just instantiating things and you're passing things in all the way down. Um, I really like it. I think it makes other features of Blade make more sense, like if you, especially if you use at push and at stack. I feel like it's more it's easier to tell what order your things are going to be in because you're going downward through your templates when you create components so it's very obvious what things are created first whereas when you have sections and especially like nested sections and layouts and stuff it gets to be kind of weird to figure out what is actually being executed first it is um yeah. because it's sort of backwards because when you have an at extends in blade when that's compiled, the at the extends call actually gets moved to the bottom of the template. Like we strip it off the top and render it at the bottom because we, we execute all the sections first and then we render the main layout. So it's we do some kind of switching around in terms of how things are executed and that can get confusing for people. I feel like with components, it's always very obvious what order things are going to be rendered in. Um, so yeah, I really like them. Like I'll probably always use, um, components and slots going forward to do everything, to do my main layout even, because I feel like it's just a more natural mental model for me. But I assume the old way will still be a thing. It's not going to yeah, be. It's still, a th- it's still a thing. So it's ever, whatever mental model makes more sense for you. And you can ob- obviously use both. So you could use extends yeah, and sections for your layout and then use components for things like alerts or modals or error messages and stuff like that. Um, so I, th- I think that's, you know, one area where components make a lot of sense for people of these sort of reusable things, um, like error, you know, sort of error divs that show alert messages and basically what components are, I mean, to summarize are it's, it's basically like at include, but much easier to pass long form parameters into, whereas exactly. at include, you would say at include and then the view name comma, and then this array of parameters but if you want to send a long string through that array, that's very cumbersome to do with at include. It was awful. Yeah, so components are basically that, but a much better way of passing long-form text and data. I was actually just going to use that as an example. The, the first time I used this, just to try it out, um, we have a right sidebar, and each right sidebar element has like a class set on it. It has a title text, but then it's also got the entire body. And the body might be as simple as a paragraph of text, or it might be an infographic, or it might be something complex. And so using at include, you know, sidebar module, you then passed it an array, and the array has title, which makes sense as a string, and it has class, makes sense as a string, but all of a sudden you're putting body and you're putting this incredible, like, a full DOM structure, and you have to kind of wrangle it into the string, and it didn't make any sense at all. Whereas with component, you just have a title slot, a class slot, and then you have the body, and the body is you're you're defining the component in the parent as with the body is basically just a section where you can put normal html it looks very normal to put as much html as you want in there 
It's not, you know, you're not stretching it and forcing HTML into a string or whatever. It's like, yeah, of course, that's what this is for. And the fact that there's like the opening and closing tags on the slot make it make a ton of sense. So it's it's not like it's something you couldn't do before, but all of a sudden, it may, even if it, even if it doesn't change the mental model for you, it just makes it easier to pass big chunks of text through there. And not only big chunks of text, but you could have blade if statements in there. You know, you have loops mm-hmm. in there. So it's really the full power of blade within your slot. Okay, last new feature, and Blades Coded to Slots is also 5.4. Um, localizations using JSON, is this uh, added to 5.3 or is this new in 5.4? Uh, that's new in 5.4. It could have been added to 5.3. It's not really breaking, but we sometimes we put stuff like that in 5.4 because we if we put it in 5.4, we still have time to sort of riff on it a little bit once it's in there. Whereas if we put it in 5.3, it's like it's sort of locked in once we tag it at least. Um, so this is a new feature that's backwards compatible where... When you build sites that are multilingual and you have a lot of translated sections in your site, it gets a little cumbersome to manage that using short keys because you end up having to come up with very obtuse and weird key names to render very specific things. So like say you have some message, I don't know, you know, you have to come up with weird long underscored key names for your validation, like product is sold out on holiday or something like that. I don't know. But right. a lot of people, when they translate stuff, they want to just write in one primary language. So they call this translate function and they just pass in more like a long form string of maybe in English, if that's your primary language, you just write out the message in English. And then in your JSON translation files, that long form message becomes your key and then you translate the message. So where it becomes really convenient is you have other people doing the translating. So it lets you build these tools where they have the long form translation right there in front of them. And then they just translate that into another language and then can hit save or whatever in some kind of GUI tool. And that writes out the JSON file because a lot of times the people doing the multilingual translation are not your developers and you need a very convenient way for them to translate different portions of your website and and keep it sort of maintainable. So um, this has been requested for a while, actually, to allow this type of translation. And it's not something I'm super familiar with because I only write English websites. But people like Mohammed, you know, who I've I've hired to work on Laravel stuff, he lives in Egypt and he's worked on a lot of multilingual sites. So he has a lot more firsthand knowledge of what makes sense and what doesn't for multilingual work. And so basically what we did was we added a new function, uh, double underscore, which if you use Laravel for a while, you know, actually used to be the default function for translating things um, in Laravel 1 through Laravel 3. But basically when you call that, that will load from the new JSON file. But then if it if they can't find a translation in the JSON file, it would just fall back to the normal um, array-based um, sort of grouped translation file. So like, you know, we have the validation translation file, the pagination translation file, stuff like that. Um, so it it may not make as much sense to people right now because there's not the separate tooling around the feature. But I think once you start to see like the UI interfaces come into play that um, people mm-hmm. are already interested in building, it will make a lot more sense on why that would be a good approach if you're building a multilingual site. And especially when you have other people doing the translation, not just the developers. So yeah, that will probably click for people that spend a lot of time on multilingual. If you don't spend a lot of time doing that, it, it may not be a feature you really utilize much. Again, it was sort of a small feature that was really pretty easy to implement, and hopefully it will be a, a big win if you're doing that type of work. 
Uh, I've only done it a little bit, but I know that the the need to make up the magic keys has been a hit for me to like. It's something that I'm like, well, yeah, we should just translate all of our you know kind of strings by default. But it it adds cognitive load, and so then now I only end up doing it if I know for sure the app's going to be translated. Uh, so something like this that kind of simplifies the process of making translatable strings, even if you don't know for sure that they're going to need to. I feel like it's a win for just making things by default translatable or localizable. Yeah, it is kind of nice because you just do it right there in your view and you actually don't have to make any translation file at all until until you decide to go multilingual. Yeah, I think that's a huge win. I think just saying, hey, by default, translatable strings, double underscore, move on. Uh, there's no extra work, no extra cognitive load there. Yeah, that's and cool. one thing I'd like to add is a at um, sort of like an at trans blade directive to where you know have at trans and in trans and then it just trims out that string in between so that you're not writing it within a single quote you know what you know what I mean so that would make it even more convenient makes sense um, okay last thing for the day um, uh, we've got some varying levels of Nintendo geekery on the, the the podcast but we're all at least mild Nintendo geeks so Nintendo recently released some videos promoting Nintendo switch. Um, so first of all, Jeffrey, can you give a pitch for somebody who didn't watch the videos? What's Nintendo Switch and what is potentially exciting about it? And then I want to hear uh, for all of us, are we excited about it or is it kind of ho-hum? I think Nintendo Switch is uh, a reverse Wii U. Um, but I, like I know Taylor was kind of hard on it. I, I think I think it's the only choice they had. So like you, if, if you're not familiar, a Wii U, you can play on your couch on the screen, but you can also just play directly on... Uh, the gamepad. Um, but if you walk 30 feet away from the system, it doesn't work. Uh, so mm-hmm. this almost reverses it. So it's like the system is like a little tablet with controllers. So you can play it anywhere. You can play it on the bus or on the train, but you can also go home and you slide it into this deck and now you're playing on the TV. Yeah. Pretty cool, actually, I think. Um, it's It's the only choice they had at this point. I think they were in one of these situations where you know, they kind of created the mobile game market, but yeah. then phones and tablets completely stole it. And everyone who used those switched over to using iPhone games. So I think they were in a situation where they couldn't justify releasing a new handheld because it's going up against every iPhone that a kid's parent gives to them. You know, your yeah. old iPhone goes to your kids. You know, you, you don't sell it for some reason. You just give it to your kids. And that's what they're playing. I mean, how often do you see a kid playing a 3DS? You, you just don't see it anymore. So I think they thought their best option is to merge the two so that they don't have to create like a Mario Kart game for 3DS and a Mario Kart game for their console. They just create one game and it works wherever you are. Mm-hmm. Uh, I don't know. I, I'm pretty excited about it. Yeah. I'm, I don't know. I'm not down on it. I'm not real sold on it either. But I don't, I don't know what the answer is for Nintendo. Like part of me thinks they should just get out of hardware entirely and just... Because I think they're really, really good at making games. Like maybe some of the best people around really at making games. You know, even I mean, the new Mario games are always really fun. Super Mario 3D World was really good. Of course, the Zelda franchise is huge. Pokemon franchise is huge. And those are all like really well executed games that always are really interesting and colorful and have good stories. And they're family friendly games. And they're just a lot of fun. And... But it's just like I have a Wii U and I only have like three or four games for it. So it gets hard to justify, you know, buying these systems when I feel like I'm only going to play a few games. But mm-hmm. I don't I don't know what the answer is, though, because the Pokemon franchise is so huge that I don't know if they would really want to get out of that business, you know, of making the handheld stuff. So it does. I do kind of agree with Jeffrey. It seems like this is maybe 
uh, one of their better options is to, is to sort of have this hybrid where they're not really a, a traditional console, like a tabletop console, but they're not really a, exclusively a handheld either. I don't know. It's an interesting time for Nintendo, <laughs> really. Yeah. I mean, I think I, I like what Jeffrey said, which is that I, I probably would, as much as I, we were just talking before this call, I love my DS Lite. It's, it's a f- ton of fun to play. At this point, I wouldn't buy a modern DS. It's just, it's just not worth it. And I got a Wii U and I love it and it's fantastic, but it does have some limitations. And one of the things we end up doing is like sometimes when uh, my wife is watching some TV show or something like that, my son and I will kind of pop behind the couch and plug in headphones that we share and kind of like just kind of both use the Wii U controller to play a game. Um, so that is something that this makes more of like a first priority. Like we wouldn't have to pop behind the couch because we wouldn't have to be 40 feet away from the thing. It's now just you have a high quality uh great screen, great processor that is intended to be taken everywhere. So in some ways, it's basically like us playing games on, on you know, my iPhone, but with a bigger screen and much better controllers. But then you also have things like each side of the controller pops off and becomes a mini controller. And the types yeah. of games that he and I tend to play together, that's perfect. So he and I can kind of sneak into the backyard or something like that, you know, prop the thing up and play our games against each other. I can have a dock at work and a dock at home. So if I'm just really addicted to some game and I want to, you know, play it through my lunch break, I can now, you know, have the same fidelity of game without having to have a Wii U in both places or something like that. And my brothers are Nintendo geeks. So I could probably take things, you know, I don't know exactly which pieces I take, but like when I go to Thanksgiving to visit them for Thanksgiving next week. I can take my Nintendo Switch up and all of a sudden we've got four controllers and the whole all the kids are playing or there's multiple I don't even know I don't even know you know what I mean like I grew up with us playing uh, perfect dark against each other with multiple screens so maybe each of us has our screen that we're playing per- I don't even I don't even know what it is um but I think that this is for me when people talk about the PS3 and the PS4 and the Xbox 360 stuff like that I get why people are excited about the developments that are happening there but I really don't care that much about like faster processors faster graphics what I care about is doing a better job of enabling me to play in more kind of fun and collaborative ways and more contexts, you know, in, in, you know, more flexible kind of arena. So when I'm thinking about it, I'm thinking about family and kids. And to me, I, I might have just gotten swept up by the hype video, but it, to me, it, it seems like the, whole, the video, video was it was all about you and your friends playing together in every different concept, right? And it was like at night with your buddies, or is it in the car, or is in you know whatever. And I like that. That was that's kind of compelling. So I do love those videos. Though, like, there's this one scene where these guys are playing real basketball and they're having fun, <laughs> and then suddenly yeah. they're like, "Hey, let's go over here and play video game basketball with each other instead of actual basketball," um, which yeah. I'm not sure what happened, but either way, I'm hyped yeah. for it. You know, the, the idea of playing a new Zelda game. A real console Zelda game anywhere. Uh, it, it's pretty cool yeah, for me. It is and cool. then supposedly, supposedly, like the spiritual successor to Mario 64 will be out on launch day, like a real huh. 3D Mario, which they haven't had in a long time. Mm, wow. Um, I think that's yeah, pretty exciting. I haven't had, have they had anything like that since Mario 64? Well, they had Mario well, Galaxy, which, Mario which was kind of the same. It's, it's basically the same. It's just a different background, but I, I, I think it's pretty great. But then after that, they kind of went to that like half 2D, like 3D world was kind of traditional yeah. Mario where you just get to the end of the level. So I think it would be fun to, to go back to the old one where you jump into a painting or something like yeah, that. Yeah, that'd be really cool. And you have all of these different um, stars you have to get. I mean, I just, I just played Mario 64 last night, actually, with my kids. Still good. Yeah. I mean, maybe the best game ever made, I think. Yeah, I agree. I, I, if you like 64, though, try Galaxy. I, yeah, I'm playing sure. through it with my son, and it's just as much fun as we had with 64. And I miss 64. There's certain, like you said, there's certain elements of the the way it kind of crosses the traditional 
Mario vibe with this 3D world. Galaxy is definitely further away from the traditional Mario vibe than Mario 64 was. So I'm looking forward to its successor, but man, if you haven't tried Galaxy, especially because it's so old, if you got a Wii U, you can buy the Wii version and just stick it into it. And then, you know, I'm sure it's got to be pretty affordable. So anything else in your, your plates? Anything else for us to cover? No, I think we're good. Cool. Well, it was a pleasure talking to you guys as always. And uh, happy Thanksgiving for Americans and Canadians. <laughs> I think they have a different Thanksgiving. <laughs> happy, happy Thanksgiving, <laughs> Americans. All right, see y'all.